Hello, people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the book of Romans. And in chapter 5, open your Bibles to chapter 5, the book of Romans. And something I have to say before we open up this study is for us to understand that Paul is speaking about deep, 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 very deep spiritual things to a very young church. A very young church. And I want you to understand that for several reasons. Because sometimes, you know, when I was a young Christian, you know, I always thought that, you know, that, that, that pastors or Bible teachers, I always thought automatically that, you know, they were the authority figures. You know, they, they knew the Bible. And then as I started to read the Bible more and more, you know, several times, you know, several versions, several times, uh, uh, Genesis to Revelation, multiple times. And then all of a sudden I started to realize, wait a second, this guy's in crazy town. This guy's in crazy town. This guy's in crazy town. Wow, this guy's a sounds teacher. Here's another guy in crazy town. Wow, this guy's in sound doctrine. Here's another one in sound doctrine. And it's so beautiful when you see this. And you know that when I was a young Christian, I just accepted, okay, this, this, is, a, this is a pastor, so he's teaching the Bible. But you know what's going to protect you in sound doctrine? Nothing can protect you except God's holy word. God's holy word will protect you. And then what happens, you know, you're going to sit down in the pews and you're going to listen to a message. And because you know the word of God, you're going to say, wait a second, this guy's in crazy town. Why is he teaching this way? And the Holy Spirit will protect you. But you have to know his word. And then sometimes you'll sit in the pews and then, you know, you'll hear the pastor speaking. And you're like, wow, you know what? This guy is rightly dividing the word of God. He is feeding the flock you know, pure, holy, holy scripture. He's feeding the flock. The diet of the Christian, the holy diet for the Christian is God's holy word. No other doctrine, not the New York Times bestseller, not, you know, you know, crazy books or, you know, books that speak about, you know, craziness that don't, uh, don't align with holy scripture and sound doctrine. The only diet for the Christian is God's holy word. Genesis to Revelation. It's like you know, certain food you, you, there's certain foods you wouldn't you wouldn't feed to. I mean, like you have pets, you know, some animals they can't eat certain things. And if you're raising certain animals, you and you, if you're a shepherd, if you're you know you're you're feeding the flock, there is no way you would feed certain uh, food to you know certain animals, depending on what the diet is. But the same thing applies to God's flock. God's word is for God's flock. It's for the world. But the world doesn't receive God's word the same way the world doesn't receive uh, uh, Jesus Christ. And didn't receive Jesus Christ. Some do, but not all. There's a wide road and there's a narrow path. Stay on the narrow path. And so look what happens here. We're going to look at chapter 5, verse 1. And I love how Paul, you know, he speaks these very deep things to a young church. And I don't want you to be discouraged when, you know, you, when you come across passages of Scripture where they're very deep. Don't be discouraged because maybe you're like a person in the church in Rome. A brand new believer, maybe been walking with the Lord for five years or five months. You know, a year, less than a year. And it's like, wow, I don't understand this. I don't get this. I don't get this. Well, you know, maybe that's somebody like you in the church in Rome. 
a, a young church who doesn't understand uh, the, the, the depth of what Paul is writing to them about, but Paul still teaches them. And what does the, the Holy Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us more and more and helps us in our walk. And that's what I love so much about, you know, Paul doesn't think, well, you know, this is a young church, so I'm not going to teach them this. Uh, this is a young church, so I'm not going to speak too deeply about faith. No, he's just being a vessel used of the Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what is he doing? In obedience to the call of God, he's teaching the church. 2,000 some years later, give or take a couple years, and he's teaching us too. The Word of God. And so look what happens here in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, having been rendered innocent by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very interesting, you know, when we study the Word of God, and then remember we're in our study in Leviticus in, um, in our Wednesday studies, and we studied about how there's the peace offering, how to have to be right with the Lord and how to have peace with the Lord. And in the law, it's a pretty deep process. But we're not a people of the law. Remember, the law points to Jesus Christ. What about the law of faith? What Paul is teaching this young church, the law of faith. And then all of a sudden, we start to realize like, whoa, wait a second. Wow, we're justified by faith. We're rendered innocent by faith. And we have peace with God. Wow, how beautiful. But don't forget, it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, turn there really quick. One little verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I don't have my tabs with me, so we're going to be flipping together. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see? The man Christ Jesus, one mediator. And it's so beautiful because, I mean, I think in legal terms, if you're in mediation with somebody, you enter into mediation and there is one person who serves in the role as, you know, sometimes it's a team of people. But for the most part, there's one person who serves as the role of mediator. Sometimes it's a team of people, but they still serve as the role of mediator. And that's Jesus Christ. For the Christian, that's Jesus Christ. The mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. So let's go back to Romans 5. We're rendered innocent through Jesus Christ and by faith in Him. In verse 2, through whom also, I love that because you look at the end of verse 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not over. He keeps going. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's the beauty of abiding in Christ. Remember, he says, abide in me and I in you. Not abide in me, period. He says, abide in me and I in you. Jesus Christ inside of you. Your body is your temple, but then it's, you know, you, you abide in me and I in you. All of a sudden you realize, wow, Lord, you're inside of this temple. Your body, your heart, your mind is the temple of the Lord. And now when you read the Old Testament and you, what happens when you see the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory that's in the temple, 
in the tabernacle and then the temple gets built and then in the tabernacle and you see the Shekinah glory. But then you start to see when Israel starts to lose battles. And you see the Shekinah glory in the temple start to leave. Why does that happen? Sin in the camp. Either with the priest, either with the king, or with a pool of people, a tribe of people, or a group of people in certain tribes. And that's what I love so much about our walk in Jesus Christ. Because what happens when you have more carnality in life? You start to lose battles. You start to lose battles. And you know, what Satan does is he tries to trick you. Oh, you don't have victory in Christ, so therefore, you know, how come Christ isn't active in your life? He whispers these, you know, he's very deceitful and crafty, a murderer from the beginning. And he does all these things to do what? To tear away at your faith. Some people don't have faith. Some people have religion. Deeply, deeply devotional and pious unto religion. But faith is a completely different matter. And Satan will do whatever he can to chip away at your faith. Never let that happen. Never, ever, ever let that happen. You have to fight the same way I have to fight. We're in the same boat. We're in the same camp. And we're a camp of warriors. We're a camp of fighters. But remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but very spiritual, highly spiritual, and to be used in the spiritual realm. Look what happens here. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The end of verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's so beautiful when you see these passages like this. And not only that, but who it's coming from. You think of Paul like, whoa, what a titan in the faith. And, you know, rightfully so. But, you know, if, if Paul were to hear that, he'd say, look, I'm no titan. I'm just a vessel. You see his humility. But then at the same time, he's like, wow, Paul, like, look at what the Lord can do inside of a man, inside of a woman. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Slave, free, rich, poor. You know, Jew, Greek, it doesn't matter. What is it that the Lord can do inside of a person? I'll give you the answer. Anything he wants. <laughs> Anything he wants. The question is, will you let him? Will you take a back seat and allow the Lord to do the work inside of you? I pray the answer is yes. But sometimes our, our, our biggest opposition is the person you look at in the mirror. Sometimes that's our biggest opposition. You think, oh, I don't have victory, I don't have victory. And then Satan will try to, you know, capitalize on that. Those feelings and emotions, Satan will try to capitalize on that. Oh, how come you don't have the victory? Did God really say? Remember the first question in the Bible? Did God really say? Came from the serpent. And the same question, you know, it can arise in your mind, in your heart. And I don't want that to happen. You have to understand these deep spiritual things, but Paul still gives them to a, like a young church because these are all for all of us to grasp. Whether a young Christian or an old Christian, these are very important truths for us to grasp, not just grasp, but hold on to and walk in. 
And so you see like in verse 2 when he says, through, through whom also, you're like, whoa, he's not done. Look at verse 3. And not only that, he's like, whoa, there's still more? And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We also rejoice in tribulations. I want to camp out in verse 3 for a while. Let us camp in verse 3 for a while. Yes, Paul is teaching about these deep spiritual things, but I love this little passage here. A couple verses. And not only that, so wait a second, there's more to our faith? Yes. We also glory in tribulations. We also rejoice in tribulations. Which translates as pressure, tribulations here, pressure, affliction, anguish, and persecution. These are things, carnally speaking, how in the world can a person rejoice in persecution? How in the world can a soul rejoice in anguish and pressure and affliction? Shouldn't this be something that we dare not even desire? But understand, you know, we're in the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world. In this world, you will not find paradise. You won't find it. Because it's not in this world. You must understand, you know, sometimes, you know, people say, oh yeah, you know, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, and it's terrible. What do I do? To come alongside a person and say, you're right, this is terrible. But let me tell you something. Do you want paradise? Yes, I want paradise. Then if that's the case, since that's the case, you're the one that's telling me you want paradise. How can you expect it to be in this world? Wouldn't the world cease being the world if paradise can be here? Oh, but my life has this, my life has this. Okay, I understand. Look at these persecutions. Oh, I get it, I understand. But how can you expect paradise to be found in this world? The world would cease being the world. If your life excluded pressure, if your life excluded affliction and anguish and persecution. To understand that, wait a second. Yes, we're in these earth suits. And yes, because you're a Christian, because you believe in Jesus Christ, I have to stress, if you're not a believer, hit pause right now. If you're not a believer, hit pause right now. Well, let me say what I got to say first. <laughs> if you're not a believer, after I say what I got to say, hit pause. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you desire paradise, if you want oneness with the Son of the Most High God, then you listen to a little message that we have. It's called How to Receive Jesus Christ as Your Lord and Savior or How to Accept Jesus as Your Lord and Savior. And there's a little a sinner's prayer. You listen to that and then you repeat and you pray the prayer. And you know, if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to be born again and you desire salvation, you must do that. And then, you know, you come back and you continue listening. And feed upon the truth of God's holy word. Read your Bibles. Have, you know, stay in prayer. And you must feed upon the truth of God's holy word. 
And so, you know, go ahead and hit pause now and do that. <laughs> I mean, if you're not a believer, understand that God loves you. Now, you are a Christian already. You abide in Christ and Christ in you. Praise be to the Lord. You're still going to have issues. You're still going to have tribulations and trials. You're still going to have very difficult moments. Very, very difficult moments. What, what does any situation, what does any tribulation have to do with God's promises? Nothing. God's promises you can take to the bank. Even deeper than that. Forget the bank. If there's something more solid than the bank, you know, take it there. And there is. It's just not carnally understood. It's deeply spiritual. In the realm of faith. And that's my desire for everybody who listens. The majority of you, I have no idea who you are. But I have to say this. I want to stoke the fire of the faith that's in your heart. You say, oh no, I am highly intellectual. I do this, you know, I'm more of a... I talked to a guy one time. And he's like, oh no, I'm more of a peri periodic table kind of guy. Okay, I understand that. It's perfectly fine. But don't forget that even all the elements of the periodic table have a creator. And we started talking about deep, deep things. And praise be to the Lord because, you know, you have these opportunities. You get to speak with all kinds of different people of all walks of life. The highly intellectual, the scientific, you know, and then, you know, the... Uh, 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 the learned class, atheists, homosexuals. You get to talk with everybody. People who have been hurt. People who have suffered. And sometimes in the name of Christ. But then, you know, you, you hear about their sufferings. And then you realize, wait a second. You tell that person and confirm to that person, that's not in the name of Jesus. Yeah, there was, a, you know, a cross at the entrance of that church that you went to. But that guy who molested you when you were a child... That's nothing to do with Christianity. That's nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You're a victim of a wolf. Don't blame Jesus Christ. He doesn't want that to happen. He never desired for that to happen. But if you think paradise can be in this world, I'm going to tell you something. You're mistaken. You will not find paradise in this world. I've been to places before which, you know, they, people call them, people refer to them as paradise in this world. I don't call it paradise. You go on vacation, you go to a beach. It's like, wow, this is like paradise. No, it's not paradise. You still see, you know, people doing stupid things on the beach. You know, you go to like a, 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 a coastal community. You go to like a, a, a certain tourist attraction, tourist amenities and all these things. Wow, this is like paradise. This is like paradise. This is a paradise. This is la la land. Garbage still happens here. And what you call paradise, garbage still happens here. Paradise is not found in this world. You will not find it in this world. Oh, but my life has tribulations. Well, so does mine, my friend. Oh, but my life has persecution. So does mine, my friend. 
But what are we to do in the face of tribulation? And that's what Paul is saying to this young church. We also rejoice in tribulations that, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like, wow, that's crazy. You rejoice in tribulation. People call you stupid and crazy because you're a Christian, but you don't have any friends. But when you stand for truth, let me tell you something. You know what? People will hate you. Look what happened to Jesus Christ. Look what happened to all the prophets. Look at Paul, beautiful, beloved Paul. But when he writes his letter to 2 Timothy, he says, only Luke is with me. All these people have left him. But he stays obedient in the faith to Jesus Christ. Stays obedient. What about you? Now, when I say Christian, I'm not speaking about, you know, uh, um, social club church. I'm not speaking about, you know, because you can go into a social club, like a social club, like, you know, any type of uh, club environment, like a uh, whatever, like a, you know, a, a country club, or you can go to a chess club, or you can go to a sports club, or you can go to any environment where there's a social environment. And sometimes you walk into a church and you get the exact same feeling. It's just a social club. Listen to a sermon for 20 minutes, you know, pray for 30 seconds, and then all of a sudden you're talking with your friends. Talking about the games, basketball, football, talking about whatever, politics, talking about this, that. That's just a social club. But I'm not referring to the social club. I'm referring to you go into a church, you sit in the pews, you pray, you know, you talk to, you know, somebody sits next to you, another guy sits next to you, a family comes and sits next to you. You talk to them about, you know, how was your week? You know, praise be to the Lord. Somebody says, oh, yeah, I was able to share the gospel with my coworker. It's like, wow, you know, let me add this coworker to my prayer list. So you start a little prayer chain for your coworker. And somebody says, oh, yeah, I went through some major problems last week. This happened, but you know what? God is good. Look at what, look at what the Lord did in it. And then our brothers and sisters say, wow, you know what? We're going to pray for you. And all of a sudden, the worship team comes out, and it's not a, a concert. You know, it's not like a rock. Oh, look how cool I am! Look at how how my voice is. Look at how awesome I am. By the way, you know, I have a you know. Here's my YouTube channel. You can watch all my videos. Look at my highlighted hair. This is my rock star voice. You know, come on, let's pray together. You know, they do their little rock star voice, and they have the smoke come out. You know, all the special effects, laser light show. Guitars playing, they're like, wow, this is like a concert. No, nothing like that at all. The worship team comes out, they pray, and they bring you into, it's like, wow, to, to, to break down walls in your heart, to prepare the congregation to hear the word of God. And then the pastor comes out and starts to teach, opens up the word of God, says, you know, a little prayer, opening prayer, and then boom, all of a sudden, it's like the word of God. It's not a 20-minute job. It's not a 10-minute job. It's to go through the Word of God and study the Word of God and teach the sheep, teach the lambs, teach, profess Jesus Christ and His Word. And then all of a sudden, the congregation, people in the congregation, they start to learn. A couple months later, you start to see something else happens. Something else starts to happen where, you know, ministries begin. You know, little women's groups begin. Little Bible fellowships begin. 
elders emerge, pastors emerge. And then, you know, that first pastor, he gets old, he dies. And there's like, you know, another pastor to fill that position. To teach the next generation of righteousness. And how beautiful it is to see this happen. It's all about my life. I have all these tribulations in life. Okay, that's life. We're in this world. We're in these earth suits. We're in these earth suits which will fade. I'll give you an alarming statistic. 100% of the population will die. 100% will die. Every one in one person will die. It's like, oh, you know, that's no duh, you know. But wait a second. How come we don't live like that? You think you're going to live forever? Every one in one person will die. Some tomorrow. Some in 50 years, some in 20 years, some in 80 years. Everyone in one person will die. And in the course of life, you will suffer tribulation. Pressure, affliction, anguish, persecution. I wish that weren't the case. I don't want you to face tribulation. I don't want you to face affliction. And I'm not even speaking about the tribulation period. There is a prophesied moment of time. Where there will be great tribulation. Jesus Christ even says there's going to be, it's going to be such hardcore tribulation that's going to be unlike anything the world has ever experienced. And you look at history, read the history books, there's been a lot of tribulation in history. But the one that's coming, it's going to be unlike any other that's any other generation in times past. It's going to be terrible. And I'm not even speaking about that, the great tribulation that's coming. I'm just speaking about general tribulation in life. People hate you when you're a Christian. They're, they say mean things about you when you're a Christian. They don't like you because you're a Christian. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're taking this Jesus Christ business too far. And in your heart of hearts, you're kind of like smiling rejoicing because it's like you don't know how far I'll go my friend if you want to chop off my head I'll give you my head you take it I don't want it I want paradise it's none of this world you say well you know I've, I've spoken that way to people before and people have come back to me I, you're crazy how can you how can you speak like this how can you look forward to death I want to be with my, I want to be with my Lord. I'm desperate to be with Him, and I pray you are too. This world has some, you know. There's some nice things in this world. This world has some okay things that are there to offer, good things to offer. But they're very temporal, very very temporal. You could have. I mean, if you were to write a list. Of like five things that you want in this life. Five things that would make you happy in this life. And then boom, you get them. You have all five things. And you think like, wow, I'm a happy man. I'm a happy woman for the rest of my life. And then after one week, you get in a car accident. And you're like, you know, in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Your five things in your list, those aren't going to be your favorite things anymore. 
Say, oh, but I thought this would make me happy. I thought this would make me happy. Okay, you thought wrong. I got all this tribulation. I have all this affliction in life. Okay. We're not in paradise. Yet, I'll say. So how is it that we can glory and rejoice in tribulation? Well, he says this in verse 3, knowing, which is to be fully aware, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, you see, which translates as cheerful endurance. That's what tribulation produces. So all these things, the pressure, affliction, anguish, persecution, yes, it's a fact of life. But look what it produces. Perseverance. And perseverance, character. So it's almost like perseverance is like a little building block. Because perseverance produces character. Approved character is how that translates in the Greek. And character, hope. You see? Have you ever talked to hopeless people? They're kind of like the Debbie Downers. It's like, man, where's your hope? Remember, faith is the substance of things, things hoped for. That's what's so beautiful about tribulation. It sounds so counterintuitive to refer as tribulation as beautiful, to refer as to hardship as beautiful. Pressure. But you look at, you know, coal. Under pressure, what happens? A diamond is made. Not just under pressure, but in the course of time. And that's what the Lord does inside of you. In the course of time. Through pressure, the pressures of this world. The affliction of this world. The anguish of this world. Have you ever been in anguish? Have you ever been on your knees or on your face before the Lord? In complete and total anguish. Praise be to the Lord because that produces something. And it produces something so incredibly beautiful. I have zero words to describe it. It's indescribably beautiful. But Brother Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, encapsulates it well. Knowing, being fully aware that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character Hope. Remember who this is coming from. Brother Paul. We just got done reading the book of Acts. You remember how I, I, I said it on purpose. How Paul is a different animal. Paul is not like the average bear. How many times have you heard me say that? If you're listening for, for the first time, you're saying, okay, only one just now. <laughs> but if you've been listening for a while, I said that a lot in our study in the book of Acts. How Paul is not like the average bear. Because you look at his behavior in the face of persecution. You look at his faith in the face of persecution. You look at his hope in the face of persecution. You look at his character. You look at his perseverance. His cheerful endurance. Remember when he was in prison? Shackled up. And the jailer wanted to kill himself. He says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. They were singing unto the Lord. How is this possible? 
to rejoice in tribulation. You must know, my friend. You must know. And remember this for the rest of your life. That tribulation in life, it's just, it's, it's a fact of life. It will come. I don't know when it will come. You don't know when it will come. But it will hit you. There's that song. I forgot who, sang, who sings it. But it's, you're only a phone call away from your knees. You know, the phone rings. You pick it up. Hello? They say, hey, your dad's dead. You know, mom's dead. You know, uh, your child is dead. Somebody close to you, dead. Car accident, quadriplegic. You know, you're only one phone call away from your knees. Tribulation will come. But what is it that the Lord does inside of you in tribulation? What is it that the Holy Spirit produces inside of you? Perseverance, character, and hope. Do you realize, I'm going to tell you something radical. It might not be so radical, but it might be. If you want to live your life with absolutely zero tribulation, you know what you won't have? Perseverance. You will not have character. And you will not have hope. If you want to live your life without tribulation. If you want to live your life without hardship and anguish, pressure, and affliction. These are three things. And there's more. But these are three things that you will not have. You won't have the perseverance, the character, and the hope. Which are vital elements for the Christian. Vital elements for the Christian. Do you want to live a life void of those? And I'm not trying to, I don't say that as like a threatening question. But I say that as a question to challenge you. And not embrace the affliction per se or embrace the tribulation per se. But in tribulation and in affliction, embrace the Lord and His promises and His word. Because I tell you the truth. The aftermath of tribulation in your life will be so beautiful. So beautiful. Because you're on your face before the Lord. In anguish before the Lord. Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. But I know that my ways aren't your ways, Lord. Lord, don't let this happen, but you know what? Not my will, Lord, thy will. And the Lord sees, the Lord hears in your anguish. Now what's so beautiful is the aftermath. Sometimes the tribulation is so difficult. Sometimes the tribulation is entirely ugly. Wow, how can anything beautiful come from this? Let me tell you something. If I were to grow the most beautiful flower, the most beautiful flower with the most beautiful scent 
the most beautiful appearance, the most luscious green, luscious colors of like deep, vibrant pastels, blue, pinks, whatever. And I would have a big field of all these beautiful flowers and you could just stand there and it just smelled like so beautiful. Wow, this is, this is beautiful. And then I lean over, I whisper in your ear and I tell you, you know what? In order to get this beautiful field, you love it, right? Yeah. In order to get this beautiful field, you know what I used? Manure. And I don't mean to sound graphic in saying that. But sometimes life, it contains aspects, certain events in life where it's like, man, this is terrible. Don't forget that the most beautiful field of tulips, the most beautiful field of flowers, for those nutrients required, requires manure. And I, I, as surely as the Lord lives, I don't mean to sound graphic in saying that or disrespectful to the Lord in explaining this point. But I also don't want you to lose focus on this fact of life. When life seeming, seemingly gives you a bad hand. When life seems to give you difficulty and tribulation. You say, how could you say that it seems to give me this? When it is giving me this. Because I tell you from experience, my friend. The aftermath of tribulation is glorious. And what the Lord does. Be very, very, very careful in avoiding tribulation. You know, so many times people, they, they fear man more than they fear the Lord. They want to be a man pleaser because oh, I don't want people to hate me. So I'm not going to teach tribulation. I'm not going to teach the book of Revelation. I've had pastors tell me that before. I don't want to teach the book of Revelation because it's, it's too harsh. Pastors have told me that before. And it breaks my heart to understand like, wow, their sheep aren't being taught. Their so-called shepherd is filtering the word of God for them. Remember, Paul is giving these deep spiritual things to a young church. And the Lord, he'll, he'll deal with his own flock. He works with his own flock. Pastors who like to teach the good things. They don't like to teach the bad. They like to teach the good. Well, what happens when life goes sour for an individual? If they go to church and all they get is a steady diet of the good. Not understanding that, wow, life has tribulation. They just figure, okay, well, I want the blessings of the Lord, so everything in life is going to be fine and dandy. Look at the life of Paul. Carnally speaking, life wasn't fine and dandy for him. Carnally speaking, with eyes of flesh. Things weren't so great for Paul. When he was beat up and left for dead, they thought he was dead. Thrown into prison. Getting his head chopped off. Historically, that's how Paul died. So, oh, 
He didn't have the blessings of the Lord. Look, you read his, the, 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 the story of his life. Where were the blessings of God? No. Paradise is not in this world. You remember, you hear me say Paul is a different animal. He's not like the average bear. Look at what he endured. Look at his tribulation. Look at his pressure. Look at his affliction. Look at his anguish. We study it in the book of Acts. Look at his hardships. And now as he's, he's writing these beautiful, beautiful letters to young Christians, young churches, young pastors, you see what was going on inside of his heart. Remember when we were studying the book of Acts and you see like all this time when Paul would go from town to town to town, but we never knew this whole time that the Holy Spirit was telling him that he would be bound in chains. We studied that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. We never knew that prior to Acts 20. We never knew that. Paul was going from town to town. People hated him. You know, he was planting seeds and seeing growth. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But he was also left for dead. He was also beaten. He was also thrown in prison, put in jail. But we never knew that the Holy Spirit in every city was saying that chains and tribulations await him. But he reveals it to the elders in Acts 20, verse 21, 22 and 23, he reveals it to the elders at the Miletus meeting. A little exhortation to elders. Hey, elders, you're going to stand for Jesus Christ and people will hate you. You'll, be, you'll have tribulations and afflictions. You'll face pressure. And look what Paul, because he's experienced it, now he's, he's he equipped the elders in Acts 20, and now he's equipping a young church in Rome. Saying that, hey, tribulations, will, you'll, you'll face tribulations in life. Don't shun them. Don't shun them at all. Because look what happens. Paul is writing from experience. Because in his tribulations, he rejoiced. He knew that tribulation produced perseverance in his life. Remember he says, I, I don't count myself to have achieved already, but I press forward. He says to young Pastor Timothy, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Look at his endurance. Cheerful endurance. Tribulation producing perseverance. Perseverance pr producing character and character hope. Look at his hope. Look at Paul's hope. It's like, wow, how beautiful. Like, how can somebody have a hope like Paul? How can somebody have a character like Paul? How can somebody persevere like Paul? Tribulation, my friend. The pressure and affliction from this world, the persecution of this world. 
Don't shun, don't shun the difficulties in life because the Lord does something in them, in you, to teach you, to show you these things. So let's continue. I think it's, you know, a lot of people want to avoid tribulation at all costs. They want to avoid it. But if that's you, I pray it's not you. If it is you, look at what you're also voiding. Look at what you're also making void by such desire. Where's the hope? Where's the character? And where's the perseverance? You see? Don't shun tribulation. And I don't want to come off as saying, you know, welcome tribulation. Embrace tribulation. Embrace the Lord in tribulation when you're going through the storm. Embrace the Lord and hold on to Him. Because I tell you the truth, He will comfort you. You'll be different on the other side of the storm. I guarantee you will be different. In verse 5, in Romans 5. <clears throat> now hope does not disappoint. So <laughs> He doesn't stop. Wait a second. There's more. Uh, perseverance, character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint. There's more. Because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts, in our hearts, by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see? God has given us. A piece of himself, his Holy Spirit, which is in your heart. I mean, it's. I have zero words to explain this. I, I'll, I'll try as best as I can, but I have zero words to explain this to the depths of how deep it really is. A piece of our Lord, a piece of God our Father, is inside of you. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says this in verse 6, For when we were still without strength, no power, without strength, in due time or at the proper time, Christ died for the ungodly, or translates as Christ died for the wicked. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It's a rare thing for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps, he says, for a good man, someone would even dare to die. So that's, to me, that's easier to understand. You take like, you know, a great military leader. It's like, wow, this guy is so valuable. So I'm going to take the bullet for this guy. He's so valuable for the cause. He's so valuable for this military campaign. He can't die. So, you know, if, if somebody puts a gun to his head or somebody shoots at him, you know what? I'm going to take a bullet for this guy. So that's easy to understand. Somebody, you know, for a good man, somebody would even dare to die. That's understandable. But what's very not understandable is verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. He says in verse 8, God demonstrates 
His love. You know what demonstrate is? It's something clearly seen. I mean, if you were to describe for me, say you're like, you know, I don't know. Say you're describing something to me. And I'm like, I don't get it. Say I'm a little space cadet. You're like, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand. And you say, okay, you take my hand and you walk me over it. And you say, look, this is what I'm telling you. It looks like this. It works like this. It works like this. Okay, oh, now I get it because you demonstrated it to me. I get it now. Thank you for demonstrating that to me. I'm not a space cadet anymore. Look at verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I've talked to people before. And they're so close. You can almost see they're like, I want to believe in Jesus Christ. But let me clean up my life first. I'm a crackhead now. Let me get off crack. Let me clean up my life. And then I'll come to Jesus Christ. Let me give up the alcohol and then I'll come to Christ. Let me give up the pornography, the strip clubs, and then I'll come to Christ. But let me tell you, let me tell you something. You believe in Jesus Christ, you accept him right now. Don't wait. Because to be undecided is to be decided. You accept Jesus Christ right now. Say, so I want to believe, I want to believe, but I like my crack better. I want to believe, but I like the strippers better. I want to believe, but that means I have to give up this. I used to be a party animal, a hardcore party animal. And I was kind of bummed out, like, man, I'm going to be a Christian, but that means I got to give up this. And praise be to the Lord, because you know what? He took it away from me. He took away my desire. For, you know, the party life and all that's implied. He took away the desire. You come to Jesus and he'll clean your mess. He'll take care of your heart. It's not to say you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus and you continue in your sin. Because what did Jesus Christ say? Go and sin no more. Remember, Paul says in verse 6, for when we were still without strength, where's the power of the Holy Spirit? You see? Where's the power of the Holy Spirit? But then he says, you know, God gave us a piece of himself, the Holy Spirit. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. I shouldn't say demonstrated. God demonstrates present tense. Just as Brother Paul written and wrote by inspired by the Holy Spirit, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we're st still sinners, Christ died for us. You're in sin, but you believe in Jesus Christ? Praise be to the Lord. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then go and sin no more. You are in Christ? Go and sin no more. You're going to sin less and less and less and less and less. You're not going to be sinless because you're in these earth suits just like I am. I'm in my earth suit. I don't like it. I hate it. But I look forward to the glorified body that the Lord is going to give me. And the glorified body that he's going to give to you. That's what's so beautiful about abiding in Christ and he in you.
That's GRACE. Acronym G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Having something you don't deserve. God's grace. And so look what happens here. In verse 9, much more than having now been justified, remember, rendered innocent by his blood. So in the Old Testament, you know, in our study in Leviticus, you hear me say, there's a lot of blood. Straight up a lot of blood. In the, in the new covenant, as new covenant believers, it's the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes away every sin, all sin. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7 really quick. Hebrews 7, verse 26, Hebrews 6, verse 26, or, or Hebrews 7, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, then for the people's. He's... Making a distinction, the writer of Hebrews here is making a distinction between the priests of the Old Testament. The priests of the Old Testament that we're studying right now in our study through Leviticus in, in, on Wednesdays. He's talking about Jesus Christ. In verse 27, he doesn't need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins when, and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. You see? One blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. You see? The law appoints men. But the word of the oath appoints the Son. That's verse 28. Remember, the law is a shadow. So you see these appointing of the priests, the appointing of the high priests. And that's what's written here. The law appoints as high priests, men. But the word of the oath appoints the Son. It's a shadow of the things to come. Even in the priesthood, even in the high priests, a shadow of the things to come. And I'll say this, in accordance to the faith, even a shadow of you. Heirs of the promise. The family of Abraham through the covenant that God made. We studied that a couple weeks ago. And how beautiful this is. And how God demonstrates His own love towards you. If you're not a believer... Say, oh, God's love isn't for me. I'm a non-believer. No, get that thought out of your head. It's demonic. It's from the pit of hell. Do not believe that lie. If you're not a Christian, God demonstrates His own love to you. Do you believe? If that's you, hit pause and listen to you know how to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. How to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then come back and feed on the truth of God's holy word. And so, let's look at this. In verse 9, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. 
So you start to see that, you know, the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ is a very huge deal. A very huge deal. And not to, not to suggest that it's not by saying it that way. But it's a very huge deal. This is what Satan does not want. He doesn't want people to be saved. He wants to drag people to hell with him. He knows he's going to hell. Satan and his demons, his minions, they know they're going to burn in hell. And a people who God is long-suffering for, who God loves, a, a people who God demonstrates his own love, he wants to break the Lord's heart by dragging his creation to hell. Where are the fishermen? Where are the fisherwomen? Where are the fishers of men to rescue people as through fire? I don't care about your sin. You say, oh yeah, I'm a sex head. I'm a, you know, a drug head. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, you know, homosexual. I'm lesbian. I'm into some sick stuff. I don't care. Oh, but I'm into witchcraft. I'm into the occult. Even still, I don't care. God loves you. While you're in sin, He loves you. Oh, you don't know how deep I am. I am knee deep. I am neck deep in sin. I'm in the occult. I swore an oath to Satan. Break the oath. And cry out to Jesus, Son of the Most High God. You know, it's very important to see, you know, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Orge is how that translates. It's God's wrath. When we get into our study in Revelation, which we've studied already, and we're going to get to, you know, in some of Paul's letters, and even in Revelation when we get there again. And we're going to study and see how there's Satan's wrath and God's wrath. Orge and thumos. Just like in Egypt, you see plague and plague and plague. And the whole time there's these plagues in Egypt, there's Goshen. There's light in Goshen where God's people were, Israel, the Jews. And God gives them a horizontal escape. And then you see his wrath. The horizontal escape, you know what that is? It's, you know, going through dry ground, going through the ocean, but on dry ground. The exodus from Egypt. Or horizontal escape. And then his wrath befalls Egypt. And the might of Egypt. The chariots of Egypt. But a time is coming when the world will experience plague after plague after plague after plague. After plague. And you know what? There will still be Goshen with God's people. Of both Jew and of Gentile. And then the Lord gives a vertical escape. It's the rapture of the church. And then God's wrath comes down. The Christian is not appointed to wrath. Old Testament, Old Testament and as New Covenant believers, what do you see? You see a horizontal escape and a vertical, a vertical escape. What does that show us? The cross. Oh, Revelation doesn't have plagues. I've heard that argument before. Revelation doesn't have plagues. Well, let's look at Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 18, right in the middle. 
If anyone adds to these things, God will add to them his plagues that are written in this book. No plagues in Revelation? No plagues during tribulation? No. Plagues will come. Just as they did in Egypt. And the Lord will make himself known. I have to tell you, it's not a time to be playing around with the Lord. Not to suggest that it was okay 20 years ago. But as we get further and further and further into the events of the last days, which I'm in the camp that says we are in the last days. I'm in the camp that says the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel can happen very soon. And when I say very soon, I mean very soon. Like, very soon. And if that happens, the Lord has given us through His Word blueprints of what happens, you know, precursory to the 70th week, which I can say has already been fulfilled. A lot of it has to do with, you know, apostasy entering the church, false doctrines entering the church. And then at the beginning of the 70th week, the Lord shows us from His Word, He gives us blueprints about what will happen. Who are the ones who know the blueprints? Who are, where are they? Where are the fishers? Men and women, where are they? Fishers. Knowing that the harvest is plentiful. Where are the fishers? And when I say where are the fishers, where are the wise fishers? Where are the warrior fishers? Because remember, Satan's a fisherman too. How many times do you hear people say, oh, I'm going to go and minister to these drug people. I'm going to go and minister to the crackheads. I'm going to go and, you know, uh, I'm going to be an evangelist to the crackheads. Praise the Lord. Did the Lord call you in that ministry? Well, no, I, you know, how could the Lord not want these people to be saved? Well, wait a second. Did the Lord call you in that ministry? I think he did, but you know what? My heart is really for these guys. Be careful. The Lord must call you into that ministry. And then all of a sudden, somebody goes, okay, I'm going to go witness to the crackheads. All of a sudden, you know, a month later, you know, two years later, you find out the guy became a crackhead. Because Satan's a fisherman. You have to be wise. Oh, I'm going to go minister to these prostitutes. Did the Lord call you into that ministry? How could the Lord not want prostitutes to be saved? See, when you start to reason with Satan, don't reason with Satan, reason with the Lord. When you reason with Satan, you're in trouble. Don't reason, don't ever reason with Satan. Never. You know, you rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. When you wrestle with Satan, or when he attempts to wrestle with you, you rebuke him in the name of Jesus. A lot of times, people will like talk, have a conversation with Satan. Don't ever, never ever do that. I'll show you why. In Jude, Jude chapter 1, verse 9, Brother Jude says this, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. You see? Michael the archangel. The archangel. No carnality inside. No, no, he wasn't a carnal creature like you and me. This side of eternity. Michael, the archangel. He didn't reason with Satan. 
he dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. But you know what he said? The Lord rebuke you. Now I guarantee you, you are not as equipped as Michael the archangel. Right now, on this side of eternity, you are not as equipped as Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel, he doesn't reason with Satan. He doesn't pray to say, you know, I hear people say, you know, oh yeah, you know, you rebuke Satan and this is how you do it. You know, you claim, you know, you claim this and you, you don't have these big conversations with him. He's, you know, I like to think of like a really cheesy salesman, like a used car salesman. Maybe not a used car salesman. Well, sometimes that. But have you ever committed like, okay, I'm not buying a car. I'm not going to buy a car. I'm just going to look. I'm just going to look. And like an hour later, one hour later, you're driving out in a new car. It's like, man, you know, I don't have the sales resistance. Think of Satan that way. As a cheesy car salesman. Except he wants your soul. Think of him like, don't contend with him. You contend with him, you just say, the Lord rebuke you. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. That's it. Period. Look what Michael the archangel did. No conversation, no nothing. You see it all the time. You know, people on TV, they start having these big old conversations. Oh, yeah, you know, these big, don't, why are you doing that? When I watch TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, I don't do it for edification. I don't do it for edification at all. I just like to see what the, you know, what's in pop culture in the church. Like, you know, what's being uh, espoused from the pulpits, so-called pulpits, so-called teachers, so-called pastors who talk about grave soaking. You know, how to fight Satan. They have these big old dissertations on how to fight Satan. You know, four words. The Lord rebuke you, period. Michael the archangel, that's how he does it. And he dared not bring against them a reviling accusation. You see? That's all you gotta do. Spiritual warfare, you know? Lord, the Lord rebuke you. I mean, there's more when it's flesh on flesh. But when, when it's in the spirit realm? No way. No way. The Lord rebuke you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you. Period. Leave it at that. That's what happens when you lean on God's promises. Now, that's for Satan. When, like, demons, when, like, you know, do the same for demons, but, like, you know, the demon-possessed people, that's a different ballgame. Because there's two factions there. There's the demon, and then there's the person. When Satan's a fisherman... You know, you say, oh, I'm going to go minister to the crackheads. A month later, you're a crackhead. Oh, you know, I'm going to go minister to the prostitutes because Satan's a fisherman. You know, a month later, you're a prostitute. You know, a month later, you've, you know, partaken of the, you know, prostitution, you know, the, the transaction. Because Satan's a fisherman. You have to be wise. You must be wise. We're in the last days. Not to suggest that 20 years ago it was permissible. But you have to be wise. 
it's very important to understand these things because you know it's going to intensify it's going to get worse and worse and worse and you have to know how to fight and so look what happens here going back to Romans 5 he says in verse 10 for if we were if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God remember by faith by faith through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Remember, he is res- risen. Jesus Christ, he is risen. You know what's interesting about this? Having been reconciled. If you're a Christian, you are reconciled. And I don't mean Christian like, you know, social club. You go, you go to church, you go to the social club. I'm talking about you're in the word, you're abiding in Christ, you're obeying his word. I'm not talking about, you know, you. yeah, I'm a Christian and you're a crackhead. Yeah, I'm a Christian and you're a sexhead. Yeah, I'm a Christian and it's like, you know, you're a tax cheat, you're cheating on your wife, beating up your wife. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you're abiding in Christ and, you know, all of a sudden you're obeying His Word and, you know, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is yours. It's God's promises. Having been reconciled. You are reconciled. You are reconciled. And not only that, let's look at verse 1. Having been justified. It's yours. That's you. You're abiding in Christ. It's yours. You're justified. You see? I say that because a lot of times Christians can get wishy-washy. Oh, am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved. Am I of the elect? I don't know. Have you ever talked to Christian basket cases? They are just straight-up basket cases because they learn these false doctrines. And they adhere to false doctrines. Maybe I'm not of the elect. Maybe I don't have salvation. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm predestined for hell. But no, you're abiding in Christ. Boom. These are yours. These are God's promises. They belong to you. Having been justified in verse 1. Having been reconciled, verse 10. It's yours. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Remember, he is risen. And not only that, in verse 11, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Translates as atonement. Atonement. You see, we read the, we hearken back to our study in Leviticus on Wednesdays. Look at the process of atonement. You know, blood, sacrifice, but then there was more in the law. We're spoiled now. You know, the law is over. The law is nailed to the cross. But the only way the the law is nailed to the cross is when you're at the cross. Don't deviate away from the cross. That's why Satan, he loves the Hebrew Roots Movement. He loves the Hebrew Roots Movement because he wants people to walk further and further and further away from the cross. But the law... It's nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. That's what Colossians reveals to us. And so look what happens here in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. He's speaking about Adam. What I love about Paul, he's going old school. He's making the comparison with Adam. Remember Adam and Eve? Okay, look at this. Let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 7. 
one little part of this verse, right in the middle. Paul says this, I would not have known sin except through the law. Remember, in the law is the knowledge of sin. I would not have known sin except through the law. That's what Brother Paul says. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, the knowledge of sin, remember? You shall not eat, for in, that, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Very interesting. And this is pre-law. This is pre-Ten Commandments. And the rule is, you know, uh, uh, every tree you shall eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And so, look what happens here. I think it's also very interesting in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. You see, how does, you know, does that ring a bell? I pray it does. I shall make him a helper. Someone to help in his walk. You see how beautiful this is? I mean, even in Eden, the Lord is teaching us about the coming helper, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And how beautiful it is for a wife to be a helper to her husband. Just as, remember, uh, well, we're going to touch on that briefly. I'll just say Zipporah. <laughs> we're going to touch on that briefly. Look at chapter 3 now. Chapter 3, Genesis, verse uh, 24. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Because imagine if Adam and Eve, they, took the, they ate of the forbidden fruit and then they ate of the tree of, uh, 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 the tree of life. They, they ate of the, the forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and then all of a sudden they eat of... Uh, the, 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 uh, the tree of life. You know what that would mean? Eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God. Remember, they were both naked and, and they became ashamed and they wanted to cover themselves. And the Lord says, where are you? So we're hiding because we're naked. And the Lord says, who told you you were naked? And then the Lord provided them a covering, which means what? An animal died, blood sacrifice. Life for life, you know, life is in the blood. Life for life. Remember, even in, even in Eden, we see a, a, a shadow of the Holy Spirit. We see a shadow of uh, the blood covering. In Eden, you see the tree of life. The Lord, in verse 24, the Lord guarded. You know, he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east garden of Eden and the flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. No tree of life. Now turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see, tree of life. 
Paradise lost in Genesis, paradise gained in Revelation. The tree of life, you see the tree of life in Genesis, and the next time you see the tree of life is in Revelation. In, Revel in, in, in Genesis, don't eat of the tree of life. In Revelation, eat of the tree of life. Given to us by our Lord, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life, you won't find it in this world. You will not find paradise in this world. It doesn't, it's, it's like oil and water, immiscible. Let's go back to Romans 5. In Romans 5, look what is written here in verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Sin is not put on their account when there is no law. I'll give you an example. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Moses murdered an Egyptian. We studied that in our study in Exodus. Moses murdered an Egyptian, except God didn't kill Moses for breaking the law. He did not impute it to Moses. Because remember, in the law, you shall not commit murder. And why, did, why didn't Moses, why wasn't the Lord angry with Moses for that? Because the law hadn't been given yet, just like it is written here. For In verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't on Moses' account. But what did the Lord want to do to Moses when he did not circumcise his kids? The Lord, God, wanted to kill Moses. Why? Because the law had been given. And it was beautiful Zipporah, his helper, who circumcised their kids and threw the foreskins at his feet. I think it's so beautiful to see these godly women as helpers to their husbands. It's so beautiful to see. Because, you know, it's like, it's so cool because the Lord, you know, I wonder if a guy is going to stand before the Lord one day. I mean, we all are. But a guy, a man, a husband is going to stand before the Lord one day and the Lord is going to say, you know, I gave you a helper. How come you didn't listen? And then the person says, well, you know, I was baptized at this age. I was, and then the Lord stops him right there in his tracks. No, I'm not talking about the helper, capital H. I'm talking about the helper, lowercase h. The one whom you wed to. The one whom you wed. I'm talking about her. A lot of husbands don't see their wives that way. Well, I have to say this. A lot of wives don't see themselves that way. Sometimes it's because of false doctrine. A lot of times it's because of false doctrine. When they say, wife, you have to submit to your husband. Which is a biblical truth. Wife, submit to your husband. It's biblical. You have to do it. But there's some precursory things there. A husband has to submit to Jesus Christ. Because what a lot of times you hear from the pulpits, wife, submit to your husband. And so the husband becomes a crackhead and the wife is, okay, I'm going to submit to my crackhead husband. And then the husband says, okay, wife, let's go do some crack. And the wife says, okay, I'm going to submit to my husband. Let's go do crack. And then the kids get sucked into that lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, where's the Lord? Where's the fruit of the Lord? When there's no obedience unto the Lord. 
If there's no obedience unto the Lord, you will not find fruit. But you will see and taste fruit where you see obedience unto the Lord. So, wife, submit to your husband who's submitting to Jesus Christ. Your husband is not submitting to Jesus Christ, then you submit to Jesus Christ. And you hold on to your husband with one hand and you hold on to your kids with the other hand. In so doing, you save your family. Notice it's like your body figure is like a cross. You have one hand extended to your husband, the other hand extended to your kids. You become the covering for your home. And it's so sad to see these deadbeat husbands. It breaks my heart. You see these deadbeat husbands. And they, they talk like they have authority. Oh, wives submit to me, wives submit to me. But they're little pipsqueaks. Little pipsqueaks who don't know the Bible. And their wife submits to them, thinking they're in obedience to the Lord. Husbands who are sex heads, they go and watch their pornography. They go and watch their dirty movies. And they say, wow, you know what? This is good. So wife, you have to do this to me now sexually. You have to do this to me now. And I have to do this to you. And you get wives that are sucked into this, this lifestyle. Doing the unnatural use of the human body, which is possible. We study that in Romans 1. The unnatural use of the human body. It's not natural. God sees. You get these little pipsqueak men. Yeah, they might be buff. They might be, you know, you know, whatever, big muscles, whatever. But they're little tiny pipsqueaks. Little babies. They don't understand. Where are the teachers? Where are their pastors who should tell them this is wrong? Don't do this. Where are they? A lot of times I have beef with pastors. The bulk of my beef that I have, it's with the pastors, it's with the elders. Because a lot of them, a large majority of them, have no business being in the pulpit. Teaching grave soaking? It's anathema to, holy, to the holiness of God's holy word, God's scripture. And people follow it. Oh, surely this guy knows what he's talking about. Look, he's got a, a program on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. Grave soaking. Lay on a grave. Go at night, lay on a grave, and soak in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not of this world. You won't find it there. You won't find Him there. That's demonic behavior. Demonic in what's called the church. You see? And so look what happens here. You know, you have this, you know, remember, Moses, he murdered. But it wasn't imputed to him. What was imputed to him was, remember, the Lord wanted to kill him. I wonder how many steps Moses would have taken before, you know, you praise the Lord that Zipporah did, you know, act when she did and how she did. For that moment in time, she was a covering for her husband because the Lord wanted to kill her or kill Moses. Straight up, the giver of the law was breaking the law. And because the law had been given to Abraham, all of a sudden, because the law had been given, it is now imputed to Moses. Broke the law. 
He almost broke the law, I should say. He almost broke the law. But his helper, lowercase h, was there. To save the day, so to speak. Praise the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Human nature brings death. Understand that. You take two kids, put a a chocolate bar on a table. You take two kids, put them in a room, put a chocolate bar on the table. Only one of those kids is going to be eating that chocolate bar. (laughs) That's just human nature. You're going to walk into the room after, you know, two minutes. One kid's going to have a chocolate bar in his hand. The other kid's going to be crying in the corner. It's human nature. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. You mean to tell me that Adam is a type of Christ? And that's what I love so much about these Passages in scripture where you have a type of Christ, as is written here, Adam. We look at Joseph, Moses, Joshua as a type of Christ. But what I love about these examples and types of Christ is when they stumble. Moses stumbling, Joshua stumbling, Joseph stumbling, Adam stumbling. You know why? Because they're not the Christ. They're a mere shadow of the things to come. The real Christ, the real Messiah, the real Lamb of God. And so look what happens here in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. What does Adam have to offer? What, what does Adam bring to the table in, in, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to redemption? Reconciliation. What does Adam bring to the table? I mean, you could say nothing, but if you were to look at it from a legal aspect, he brings sin to the table. You see, it's verse 13, until the law of sin was, was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. You see, it's like, whoa, you start to see the nature of sin in created man. And who can defeat that? Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. For in verse 15, for if by one man's offense many died, that's what Adam brings to the table, sin, the sin nature. If by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Much more. Remember, grace, the grace of God, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Just as you see, you know, we look at the, in Genesis, you see how it is not good for men to be alone. So he makes a helper. The Lord gave a helper, lowercase h. But look at the fall of that helper. It's like, wow, this is a beautiful, a shadow of things to come, how beautiful it is. But when they fall, it's like, oh, wait a second. There's, you know, the real helper, the Holy Spirit. Just like, you know, you look at the law, not to be enamored with the law, but to understand the purpose of the law, understand the loopholes in the law. 
because it's a shadow of the things to come. A lot of times people get kind of rattled when I say that. Uh, loopholes in the law? Well, let me just read a little passage, which I reflect to often. But in Hebrews 8, verse 6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. That's why I say the law has loopholes. Because certainly there is a place to seek for a second. Jesus Christ. How beautiful the Lord is. Paradise lost, paradise gained, and for the Lord to make a way for all the generations. For you and me today, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus Christ. He is the way. Period. He is the way. There is no other way. Buddha, Muhammad, Mary, the Vatican One, Vatican Two. They will not save you. There is no salvation in Mary. There is no salvation in Buddha. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. So let's go back to Romans 5. Um, he says this in verse 16, And the gift is, it is not like that which came through the one who sinned, that's Adam. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. You know, through many offenses, God demonstrates His love. Remember verse 8? God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. While we were sinners. That's why you hear me say, I don't, I, I could care less. I, I don't care about the sin. I don't care. You're a sex head. You're a crackhead. You're a meth head. I do not care. But what I do care about is your soul. And you need to repent. God loves you. You need to repent. You need to believe in Jesus Christ and get in the ark. Capital A, Jesus Christ. Abide in Christ. And you know what? Take that crack and throw it in the trash. Take that sex. You're a sex head. Take your pornography. Take your strip clubs. Throw it in the trash. Your tax cheat. Throw it in the trash. That behavior. Go and sin no more. Otherwise, where's the transformation? Where's the transformation? There is none. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm still a crackhead. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I still drink my whiskey. I'm still an alcoholic. There is no transformation. When you're supposed to be, in accordance with the Word of God, new wineskin which holds new wine. You're supposed to reckon the old man dead and carry your cross. The old man dead, the old woman dead. Carry your cross. Say, oh, that's workspace salvation. I don't believe in workspace salvation. Well, neither do I. Remember, works is a debt. I'm not talking about work. You know, people say works is like, oh, I got to do this for salvation. No, when I'm speaking about work, remember, like Brother Paul says, 
Works is a debt. We studied that a couple weeks ago. I'm talking about obedience. Obedience isn't works. Obedience is obedience. It's it's kind of simple, you know. I, a lot of times people, you talk to the theologians, you know, I was talking with a, a doctorate in theology. They use all these big words, you know, and if that's you, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to come at you like, you know, come at you like, you know, aggressive. But I've talked to the doctorates in theology before. And they use all these big words. They talk about, oh, but the Levitical law says that. They say, wait a second. I'm a new covenant believer. You know, I, I, I'm a Christian. So I have to understand that Leviticus points to Jesus Christ. And let me ask you something, doctor. Do you not believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. But we have to do this in the law. Wait a second. If you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ, then the law is nailed to a cross. Not a cross, the cross. Do you not understand this, doctor? Have you not read, doctor? Do you not know the scriptures, doctor? And I don't mean to, you know, if you're a doctor in theology, I'm not coming at you like this, like, you know, aggressively. But in my experience, all the doctors in theology had very poor theology. Very, very poor theology. That's the doctorates. The master's degree, even worse. Even more. Oh, yeah. In theological studies. Master's in theological studies from you know XYZ Seminary. Okay, that's nice. And they start to teach God created sin. God created sin. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is a kingdom divided? Can a kingdom divided stand? Do you not know the scriptures? And no offense, you know, I don't mean to be offensive. And if you are offended, it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In the last days, many will be offended. Just read Matthew 24. I referenced it. So 24 verse 10, I believe. Let me check. Matthew 24. Ooh, it's not Matthew 24, 10. Matt, oh, that's 25. Ah, it is Matthew 24, 10. I was at 25, 10. So it is Matthew 24, 10. And then many will be offended. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and hate one another. So if you're offended, you know, you're fulfilling Bible prophecy. So I don't want to come out that way. I don't want to come off as being offensive. But let me tell you something about truth. It's very offensive. The Bible is very, very, very offensive. You know why? Because the Lord wants to confront carnality, the carnal man, the carnal woman, the same way He offended me. He offended me all so, oh, so deep. Like I was, I felt like I was in fire. Like I was like in a bon Like you take a big bonfire. You ever go to the beach and you have a big bonfire? Well, I haven't done that in a while. But here at the beach, you see this big bonfire. It's like you're like standing in it. I felt like that, like, like I was immersed in the fire. And I didn't like it. I was highly, like sweating, sitting in the pews and sweating. Like my heart, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. You know what it was? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was messing me up. 
And the Bible will mess you up in a good way. I don't mean in a bad way. Because if you're a carnal, say you're a crackhead or a sex head, and then you read the Bible, you realize, whoa, the Lord doesn't like my behavior. So I got to change. And I'm, I use big ticket items. I say, you know, sex, crack, you know, alcohol. I, I say the big ticket items. Because I want you to understand that, you know, it's, you know, yeah, these are big ticket items. But a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm just a tax cheat. It's okay. Yeah, I pay these people under the table. It's okay. It's just a little white light. It's no big deal. It's a huge deal in the eyes of the Lord. Because he, he desires transformation. A new heart, a new spirit. You have to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. You have to. You must. And then all of a sudden, you'll see, you might not see it, but people will see it. People will ask you, hey, how come I don't see you doing this anymore? How come you don't go here anymore? Hey, how come you don't hang out with us anymore? It's because of Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. I fell in love with Jesus Christ. And you know what? He loves you. Come on, let's read the Bible together. Come on, let me tell you the good news. Come on, let's go to church together. You become a fisherman. And so, look what happens here in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life of the one, Jesus Christ. How beautiful this is then. In the span of time to see Adam and then all of a sudden you get to Jesus Christ. Wow, sin entering through disobedience and through deception of the serpent. And then all of a sudden you see the cross. How the law, in the age of the law, atoned for sin in the performance of the law. But they had loopholes in the law. There was a second coming, a second covenant that was coming. And it's by faith, Jesus Christ. You know how hardcore deep this, this theology that we've been studying the past several weeks? I say theology, but truth of Holy Scripture. I say theology, just I don't know why I said it that way. But this is very deep theology that we're looking at. Very deep truths that we're looking at. Very deep promises of God that we're looking at. Which is why I preface this message by saying, I, I, I don't desire for you, I don't know how old you are in Christ. But I do not desire you to get in this mindset where, you know, that this is reserved for the theologians only, the so-called theologians. This is for you. You might be a brand new believer. This is you. This is for you. You see? It's for you. Young, old, it doesn't matter. But will you hold on to these things? Will you hold on to these truths? As building blocks. What the Holy Spirit wants to build inside of you. Teaching you more and more and more of His Holy Word. Therefore, in closing, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. It's a free gift given to all. Free gift. Now, let me tell you, let me give you an example. If Say today's my birthday, okay, and you give me a present. Well, say it's not my birthday. Say it's just you give me a present. And you, you know, you have this box and it's wrapped, it's bowed, nicely bowed. And, you know, your wife wrapped it. Men don't wrap that bow. It's like, well, some guys do, but 
I'll stop there. <laughs> so say your wife wrapped it, okay? <laughs> and you have your hands out, you give me, you extend it, you say, here's a gift for you. And I say, no thanks, I don't want it. No thanks, I don't want it, take it away. And then say another scenario comes where you say, no, here, take this gift. And I take it, but then I put it in my closet, I never open it. Or say you say, here's, you know, the present, I unwrap, you know, untie the bow, unwrap it, you know, and I open it. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful. I've always wanted one of these. Whatever it is, I've always wanted one of these. How did you know? Oh, my goodness. Nobody's ever done this for me. And then I gave you a big fat hug. Oh, my goodness, my friend. I love you so much. Wow, this is so beautiful. In all cases, your gift was extended to me. In all cases, it was extended to me. Except in one case, I rejected it. In another case, I never opened it. And in another case, I opened it and rejoiced. That's what the free gift of salvation is. The free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. Because there's this dangerous doctrine. And it is rampant among the Calvinists, the Neo-Calvinists, those who adhere to Reformed theory. I call it a theory because that's all it is. It's a theory. It's wrong, but it's a theory. Oh yeah, God saved. God, Jesus Christ died on the cross to, you know, only for the elect. Yeah, he died for all men, but only in a saving way for the elect. That's false doctrine. He died for all. And that's why I give my example of the gift that you present to me. Nicely wrapped in a bow. You extend it out. Here's a gift. And I say, no, get it away from me. I don't want it. Or I say, okay, I take it into my closet, throw it in my closet. And I never, you know, a big pile of gifts in there. Never open it. Or I take it, open it, and I rejoice because you've blessed me. You're like, well, this is so beautiful. In all cases, you offered it to me. In all cases, you gave it to me. But in one case, I reject it. In another case, I never open it. And in the other case, I open it and rejoice. The free gift of justification of life, the free gift that results in the justification of life, in salvation, it's to all men. It is a free gift to all men, extended to all for whosoever believes. Now each person has a choice to make. Do I reject the free gift? Do I never open the free gift? Which is, you know, part and parcel of rejection. Or do I open the gift? Do I receive the gift? In all cases, the gift was extended and offered and given. But not all receive. Why? Because of their own choice. And we're going to study this concept hardcore when we get into predestination, which we're going to study pretty soon. Predestination. Because there's this movement going on and it is rampant among, I have to stress this, the Calvinists, the Neo-Calvinists, and those of the Reformed theory. Very popular, very rampant. It's growing like a weed 
And yes, I say a weed. It's growing like a weed. I don't mean to offend you. If you're a reformed theorist, I don't care if you have, you know, uh, Mikshmo study Bible. I don't care. Because I love you. Such hardcore adherence to sound to, to this doctrine, not sound doctrine, but hardcore adherence to this doctrine of the reformed theory. As a result, something else is coming into the church. Which is, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You can still be saved. You can take the mark of the beast and still be a Christian. That's the false doctrine that's spreading like a wildfire. Like a weed. Which is commensurate with the teaching of uh, predestination. The, the, which isn't biblically taught correctly. People say God predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. No, each person is, makes their own choice. The gift is given to all men, all who believe. Whosoever believes, the gift is there. It's readily available for all. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. If, in accordance with Reformed theory, if God predestines people to hell, then why is He long-suffering? It doesn't mix. It doesn't match. It doesn't line up. Therefore, the theory is wrong. You have to test the theory. It's kind of basic science. You know, if you're a Reformed theorist, it's kind of basic. I don't mean to be offensive, but it's rather basic. I really don't care about the doctorate. I really don't care about the master's degree. I don't care about the seminary. I don't care. But when you boil it down, it's kind of elementary. Let's move on from things elementary and let's move on to perfection. Look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. You say, wait a second. So the law entered that the offense might abound? I don't really get it. I don't really get it because you understand that the law, just like Paul writes, if you look at chapter 7, verse 7, I already referenced it in the middle. I would not have known sin except through the law. So in the law is the knowledge of sin. And what does the Lord desire for you and me today and even in the Old Testament in accordance with the old covenant, the former covenant? What does he desire? The acknowledgement of sin. The acknowledgement of sin and repentance. Lord, forgive me. The law brings death, yes. But also in the law is the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of good and evil. Paul even says, Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, I would not have known sin except through the law. I remember there was a time when I was a kid. I mean, there was a time when we were all kids, but for me, this specific thing happened where my mom, 
she was making these pancakes on this little flat iron. And like uh, you, you plug it in and this little flat griddle type of thing, you know. And it was all, it's always stayed on our counter, always. Unplugged, always on the counter. And I was just a little kid, you know. And then so all of a sudden one day she tells me, I'm like, hey, mom, what are you doing? She says, I'm making breakfast. Okay, what are we having? I'm making pancakes. Okay, cool. What are we eating? <laughs> Can we eat? <laughs> so, hold on, hold on. So she's in the kitchen doing her thing, you know, mixing her whatever. And then, you know, and then she, she says, okay, here's this hot plate here, this, you know, this griddle. She says to me, do not touch it. Do not touch it. And I said, why? It's hot. Don't touch it. And so here I'm a little kid, like I can barely look over the counter. Barely, like, like you picture a kitchen counter and all you see is like the top of the head, like you Kid can't even look, look over the counter. So I'm looking up at this griddle. And I heard my mom say, don't touch it because it's hot. And I'm examining the griddle. I can't see the heat. And I'm looking at the griddle. Okay, my mom said, don't touch it. It looks exactly the same as what it always does. So, hmm, what am I going to do? My mom says, don't touch it. So what am I going to do? What I, I touched it. And I didn't just touch my finger to it. I took the, like my entire hand and I went to touch the whole top thing and I rested my hand on the thing and then tss, my hand burned. And I quickly turned and I was in major pain. And I never told my mom. I never cried. I didn't tell my mom, oh, mom, it hurts. I never said that. You know why? Because my mom would have said, I told you not to touch that and I would have got spanked. And if my mom was busy doing something, it wasn't my mom. She would just say, you know, she had my dad do it. <laughs> so I knew because my mom was busy making breakfast, it wouldn't be her that was, you know, going to give me her light spanks. It was going to be my dad, and he didn't spank so lightly. It's like, whoa, okay, so my mom says, don't touch the griddle. What do I do? I touch the griddle. It's just like Paul. I mean, not, you know, just like what Paul did. He says, I wouldn't have known sin except through the law, because that's what the law does. That's what the law does. It exposes my carnality. It exposes your carnality. It reveals to you. It reveals to me. It reveals to everybody our need of a Savior. Our need for justification. Old Testament days, it came through the law. It was imputed to them for righteousness sake. Just as with Abraham, pre-law. But then at the same time, for you and me, is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. It's atheists today. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Okay, that doesn't mean that it's gone. That's the same way of saying like, you know, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in the law of gravity. Does that make the law of gravity go away? Not at all. As soon as I declare, I do not believe in gravity, period, boom. Does that mean I start floating away because I don't believe? No. People say, oh, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in the Old Testament. I don't believe in the New Testament. That's not, okay. That's what you say. But that doesn't mean you're, under the, you're not under the law. Your own words condemn yourself, which says to me, you need a Savior. Why do I need a Savior? Well, you know. The Bible says that there is hell. You're going to die. You're going to burn in hell without Jesus Christ. So you need Jesus Christ. 
oh, I don't believe that, so that's not for me. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. Why? You're praying to, you know, pie in the sky. You say that, but I have a different set of eyes than you. Oh, that's just your opinion. You know, remember, Paul, he's going to write, we're going to study this in, in future verses, but he says, if if there is no life, then all our work, it's in vain. It's It's for nothing. But there is. All these beautiful passages in Holy Scripture, all these beautiful, beautiful passages in Holy Scripture, show us our need, our, our wretchedness as creation in the law. I mean, you hear me say about, you know, the in the law is death. And yeah, that's scary. But I've tried it both ways. I've been hardcore disobedient to the Lord, not knowing the Lord. And I've been disobedient to the Lord, knowing the Lord. I've been cold. I've been warm. And then all of a sudden, it's the Lord who says, you know what? I want you to teach. Because he wrecked my life. He messed me up. He wrecked shop on my heart. He says, I want you to teach. And you know what's so beautiful is when you start understanding these things. I can't say like, you know, it's, I can't explain it. It's supernatural. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Remember the Pharisees when they were like, oh, you, you're blind because you have sin in your life. And the guy was like, look, the guy who the, the Lord healed, the Lord healed from blindness. He says, look, I don't have sin in my life. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. You give a reason for why you believe. I was blind and now I see. And because I see, I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. You talk to the hardcore atheists. And you know what they are? Theists. They're theists of self. Theists of self. Atheists aren't really atheists. They're theists of themselves. Talk to an atheist. And you tell him that. You tell her that. You're not really an atheist. Yeah, I am. I don't believe in God. No, you know what you are? You're a theist of yourself. You want to be God of your life. And you think you're God of your life. But your own actions, your own words condemn you. I've had these conversations with atheists before. And what's so beautiful, you know, not in a hatred, not in a combative kind of way. But to talk to an atheist, and you know, it's like very like combative to a certain degree, lovingly, you know, but then at the same time, like, no, this is what truth says. And in the course of time, it's revealed, you know what? By the words you say, you're really a, th- a theist. You're not an atheist at all. What do you mean? You're a theist. The throne of your heart, you know who sits at the throne of your heart? You, and you like that. Thy, your own will be done. Thy will be done. That's what you want. You want your will for your life. Absolutely, that is what I want. Okay, so you're a theist. You can't call yourself an atheist. And I was having this conversation with an atheist one time, and it was very combative at first. Very combative, like back and forth. Not combative, like from, I don't think so, from my perspective. 
But I wasn't bending. Not in a mean way. I wasn't like, you know, name calling or anything. But what's so cool is we started to talk about prophecy. And the mark of the beast. And this particular fellow, he didn't understand the mark of the beast. And that's really what kind of shocked him. Because, you know, he sees these technologies. He see, And he's like an investor. And when you look at investment strategies, you look at like, you kind of look like years out, decade. I mean, if you're a good one. You kind of like 10, 20, 30 years out. If you're a really good one, even further. But that's very difficult to do. So you kind of look, make these projections 10, 20, 20 years out. And from this investor perspective, to see this technology, biotechnology going in one direction. And for this particular atheist to be in this position where it's like, hey, I'm an atheist. And to tell this guy, you're really a theist. And then we started talking about prophecy, and it kind of stopped him in his tracks. Pray for him. Because what's so beautiful is that, you know, you have these people who are hardcore atheists. But the Lord can break any shell. Never forget that the Lord can break any shell. Any shell. He did it with Nebuchadnezzar, who had a hard heart. You know, it's so beautiful. You see Pharaoh with a hard heart. You see Nebuchadnezzar with a hard heart. And you see how the Lord dealt with him. Two people with hard hearts. And the Lord, you know, one of them humbled himself before the Lord. The other one did not humble himself. Moses even asked him, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? Then you have Nebuchadnezzar who also had a hard heart before the Lord. And he humbled himself before the Lord. And then he rejoices and starts praising the Lord. If you have people in your life with hard hearts, maybe people in your life who are atheists, they're really theists. They're just theists of self. What will that get them? You won't find paradise. If you're listening to me right now and you're an atheist, well, I don't like Christianity and, you know, this guy speaks this way, this guy teaches this way, you know, whatever. I don't know what your position is, but you're an atheist. You're a theist. You just don't want Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. You want to be on the throne of your heart. You know what? I was there. And it got me nowhere. It got me in jail. That's where it got me. What's in your life? You're sitting on the throne of your heart. What's in your life? You won't find paradise. I guarantee you, you will not find paradise. Yeah, you might have you know, a high in life, whatever form that is. But do you know how temporary that is? You might be on the throne of your heart and you might have all the sex you want, all the crack you want, all the whatever you want, all the alcohol, and you think it's fun, but it's so temporal, it's but for a moment. The joy you have in Christ Jesus, that's eternal. All you have to do is get off the throne of your heart. You're not really an atheist. Biblically speaking, you're not really an atheist. Come to Jesus Christ. God loves you. Allow Him. Get off the throne of your heart and allow Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of your heart. He'll change your life. He cleans His own fish. I promise you. I don't hate you. But if I say, oh, I don't believe in the law of gravity, does that mean as soon as I say, I do not believe in the law of gravity, period, or exclamation point, 
No matter how loud I proclaim, I shout on the rooftop, I do not believe in gravity. Does that mean I'm going to start floating away? No. I'm still under the law of gravity. I'm still planted on this earth. Why? Because the law of gravity, even though I don't believe in gravity. But the same thing applies to you under the law of God. You need grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And grace, it's free to all who believe, even you. If you're an atheist. Well, if you're not an atheist, if you're Buddhist, Catholic, I don't care. Oh, but Catholicism is Christianity. No, it isn't. It is not. All you got to do is read the Catechism of Roman Catholic Church. It's not Christianity. Second Vatican Council, not Christianity. First Vatican Council, not Christianity. It's not. does not align with Holy Scripture. And, oh, I'm a hardcore Roman Catholic. Okay, that's fine. But I love Jesus Christ. Okay. If you love Jesus Christ, obey Him. Why are you going to go and pray to Mary? That's disobedient to Jesus Christ. Why? He loves you. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Oh, I'm a Buddhist. Okay, same thing. Holy Scripture says this. You have a choice to make. You got a fork in the road. Are you going to honor yourself? Honor Buddha? Honor Mary? Honor yourself as a theist of yourself? Or are you going to acknowledge Jesus Christ and honor Him? God loves you. There's an ark. Capital A. Today, the door is wide open. You believe, you enter the ark. You enter the ark. Why do you say that all the time? You know, I get that argument all the time. Why, why do you say it? What do you mean ark? Why do I need an ark? You know why? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming as surely as the Lord lives. And I do believe firmly that we're a last day's church, a last day's generation. The Lord could tarry. But I do believe that we're a last day's generation. Let's go back to Romans uh, 5. Romans 5 here. I was in Romans 7. Romans 5 here, verse 20. Oh, verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And that's what the Lord desires to do inside of you. Righteousness. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The forgiveness of sin. God's riches at Christ's expense. You read verse 20, and you know what it tells me? There's grace in the law. A shadow of the things to come. Remember, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You know why? It became the acknowledgement of sin. You know, we're studying that in Leviticus. The law is given. So what? Now people are aware. Oh, wow, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Or I did do this. Oh my goodness. So now I need atonement for my sin. I need covering for my sin. Just the fact that there's, you know, covering for the sin. 
What does that show? God's forgiveness. His grace in the law. In verse 21, in closing here, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the law points to Jesus. The law points to Jesus. It's the tree of life that he gives to all who believe. Those who, in, in, in Revelation 7, or Revelation 2, verse 7, I'm just going to read it again. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the, from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see? To him who overcomes, which begs the question, how do I overcome? How do I overcome? Obedience to God's holy word. That's how you overcome. Abide in Christ and He in you. That's how you overcome. And it's so beautiful to see this great cloud of witnesses, Old Testament and New Testament, to see this great cloud of witnesses. You know why? I mean, as encouragement, but you also see as our family tree in the faith, as the God's promise to Abraham, the heirs of Abraham. But what an encouragement is to see like, wow, you know what? I'm not alone in this walk. You're not alone in this walk. We're a holy people on this narrow road to paradise. That's you, that's me in Christ. That's abiding in Christ. And along the way, you know what we're doing? We're fishing. We are fishers of men, women, young, old. I don't care whatever sin, I don't care. Because God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Paradise lost in Genesis, paradise gained, Revelation. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. Pick up in chapter 6 next week, God willing. God bless you guys. Love you guys.